So, Paul Frampton, welcome to our podcast, Can Marketing Save the Planet? Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. So, Paul, you and I have conversed and met a few times around marketing, and you are an experienced and prominent marketer. And that's why we wanted to um, get you on the show, because I know when we've had conversations and when I first sent you the book, uh, Sustainable Marketing, How to Drive Profits with Purpose, you mentioned to me that when you were at Havas, there was this project around around meaningful brand. So before we get to that, maybe it would be good if you can just introduce yourself a little bit because you've had an extensive career in marketing. So just tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Extensive means I'm old, right? Um, <laughs> Probably not as old as me. <laughs> <laughs> you're, in good, you're in a good club if that's the case. <laughs> Seasoned or extensive is always one of those uh, interesting words. Isn't it? Yes. Um, so thank you for, well, firstly, thank you for the invite. Um, I love to have conversations like this. So uh, my background is I started in media, media planning and buying back in 1997, um, not really knowing what it was, to be honest. I, was, I wanted to be a journalist and then stumbled in the media pages of The Guardian across a media agency, thought, wonder what that is, and then ended up spending most of my career uh, running media agencies. So my latter role in that world was running the media group for Habas, uh, which was around about 500 million kind of in billings, around 23 million in EBIT. So it was a fairly big business, 900 mm. people. Um, I then got a little bit frustrated with the speed of change um, and the disruptive nature of it. I'm, I'm a big, um, big believer in getting ahead of change as much as you can um, and listening to the signals and trying to diversify and transform. Uh, so I went and joined a hospitality startup, uh, which was funded by Foxconn and SoftBank and had an interesting 18 months working for a Hong Kong-backed business. Um, and through that, I learned, I guess, what startup growth hacking, 10x growth is actually really all about. Um, and then I came back to marketing, having been a bit frustrated about the advertising world and the fact that maybe it wasn't wasn't elevating itself to marketing enough. It was too lost in its own kind of, we ran a great ad and look, let's celebrate the creative. And as I was like, well, did it work? Did it actually mm. meet the customer experience? All of those kind of things. So I then joined uh, a business uh, which is owned by a US independent, independent marketing group called Goodway. And I essentially run a media consultancy that has an activation arm today. So we do everything from helping brands with their operating model to helping them with data, technology consulting, um, and kind of helping them with onboarding new skill sets like agile and stuff like that. So I'm enjoying being kind of involved in the broader marketing uh, kind of arena. Um, and I think that's what this conversation is all about, right? Marketing at the highest level and its role in leadership and changing society and the environment and economy and everything else. Absolutely. And changing the world, you know, that's, that's where, that's what, yeah, that's where we're kind of heading with it. So tell us a little bit then about this meaningful brand mission that you talked about that, that you came across at Havis and, and then maybe we can bring it to Covent Day around where, what you're seeing that's still aligning with that. So, so tell us a little yeah. bit about what that was about. So the CEO of Havas, probably going back a while now, um, in the mid-2000s, was a guy called Fernando Rodez. Uh, the Rodez family basically ran the media side of Havas. And Fernando had a lot of very senior C-level connections, and he constantly kept hearing from them 
that they were thinking about sustainability and CSR. And I think it was the first time that I heard that term. Mm. Um, and he was thinking when he was going into those dinners and those lunch meetings, like how do we as Havas be relevant to that conversation? So it's Meaningful Brands started as an initiative very clearly around sustainability. I then think it was a little bit too lofty and wasn't connected to our proposition. So we brought it down a little bit. And what Meaningful Brands ultimately was about was a study across the world of brands with consumers to understand whether brands actually had resonance with people on doing good, essentially. So it looked at personal well-being, uh, collective well-being, and then just hygiene factors like, is it priced fairly? Does it pr- provide kind of ability for you to connect with other people? Does it enable kind of society to move forward? So a lot of the things that were in it, I think, are very common to the themes that you bring up in um, in, in your book and this podcast. So we we started to look at how we engage with brands on that dimension of is this driving personal well-being, which mm-hmm. everyone would probably argue that advertising is about. But the interesting piece, which most people were not talking about, was this collective well-being. And within that, clearly, came topics like, um, is this brand thinking about its carbon footprint? Is it thinking about its contribution to a community, whether that's a local community or a regional or a global community? So we started to actually rank brands and look at them. And the key statistic that has stayed with me forever is that 75% of brands could be forgotten tomorrow and most consumers wouldn't bat an eyelid because it doesn't connect to what do I consider to be meaningful. And I think, like I expect where we'll go with this conversation is that consumers now have an expectation around sustainability, even though that's a, a term we may use quite academically in the industry. They have an expectation about how brands should behave in social media, in their packaging, in the way that they market, in the way that they invest money to different kind of platforms that they may not agree with. So it's touching everything. And I think the really interesting thing is, and a topic you and I have talked a lot about, Michelle, is no longer can a brand say one thing, story tell and claim and actually the reality be something else. I often talk about this term of story doing, which sounds like a bit of a clumsy term, but it's to take it away from, yeah, you can create a nice ad and tell a beautiful story. But if that isn't grounded in reality, then it's going to be found out pretty fast in the world we live in today. It certainly is, because that is that is customers know, don't they? Consumers are the consciousness is rising. They've got accessibility to digital platforms. They can push back and they know when it's all being washed up in front of their eyes because they can research more readily. So one of the things you said there is about connecting to the proposition and brands, because you know, what we don't want to happen, I suppose, with sustainability and sustainable practice and responsible marketing, however we, you know, however we position that, is that it becomes marketing, that it that it becomes a kind of, you know, a brand story and so purpose-driven, but as you absolutely rightly state, it isn't grounded in the doing. So, so, how do you know what was your what's been your kind of experience of that disconnect it's a really good question i mean i i've always loved um simon sinek's why because i think is always a good place to start that it's the brands that really understand why they exist and what they're there to do 
that are the ones that have the clearest purpose. And from that purpose, you can take it down to how you do it and what you actually do. I often think about that very simple. I think he calls it the golden circle or something. Yes. I often yeah. think about that visually when I'm going in to talk to a new organization, whether it's the CMO or the CEO or anybody in a leadership position. And I, I ask them to, to kind of tell me what their why is. And some people engage immediately with what that means. And, if, and other people either ask you a question to validate what you mean or answer it in a way that demonstrates that they didn't really know what that meant. So I think a lot of organizations would say that they have a purpose, but I find that people in the same way they mix up objectives and strategy, which seems like a strange thing to do. They also mix, mix up purpose and mission and other things. Um, so I think there are far, few and far between brands that have a true purpose that goes throughout their organization. And the way that I think about it is almost like a, a stick of rock that connects the employer brand yep. with the brands that goes out to customers with the brands that actually the employees talk about. Because HR departments tend to create one version of a brand. The marketing department tends to create another. The CEO tells one story that is the shareholder story or a kind of a, a national global press story. And often I don't see those things being very interconnected. Now, there are a few obvious exceptions. I mean, I know in the book, you obviously talk about Unilever and Unilever is a great case. They Paul Pullman actually, as an individual, is a great example of a leader that really understands what being a purpose servant type leader is. And yeah. I, my, my personal view is that there's not enough businesses that have cracked it perfectly. I think there's a lot that are on the way, but they've not yet cracked that that why should become, you should come back to that in almost every department for every initiative to validate whether you're doing the right thing. And I think people find that quite difficult to do because they start with, a, well, you told me you needed this many more sales or this many more customers, or we wanted to drive up our NPS by this. And they actually lose that higher purpose. Yeah. And the, the point of the purpose being higher is that it's meant to be where you ladder everything up to. Exactly. <laughs> It's the North Star, isn't it? It's the thing yeah. that kind of, you, you, like you say, you keep coming back to for steer, for direction. And, you know, we, uh, Gemma and I actually did a, a talk, at a lunchtime kind of session with Deloitte. And, and two of the questions we raised were around you know, that, that brands could and organisations could be asking themselves is, mm. as you said, 75% of people wouldn't care less if a brand disappeared, you know. So A, what would happen if you your organisation no longer existed in this world? And yeah. B, would the world be better off if you didn't? Because whilst I think no organisation kind of sets out to do harm, they're, they're not necessarily setting out with this, this intention of to do no harm. So... Yeah, and they're definitely not necessarily set out to do good. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, I was talking with a client earlier this morning, actually, a B2B client, about this concept of G2. So G1 being growth that we've known, capitalist growth, and G2 being kind of ESR, CSR-led growth and all yeah. of the metrics and framework about that. And I think, I hope that if COVID has done anything Park there, hopefully it's, it will mean that all of us have got slightly better balance in the long term, even though we don't say we've necessarily got it at home at the moment. Yeah. Um, that What it will lead to is a, re, a reassessment um, of 
what growth actually looks like and not growth at all costs. Yeah. And at all costs, obviously, you can interpret in many different ways. It's kind of impact on the environment, impact on people, um, impact on society, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, depending on which businesses we take, if we took an FMCG business and looked at their carbon footprint versus we took Facebook and looked at their impact on politics, society, the way people think. I mean, they're, yeah. they're different, but mm-hmm. they're all about like the the impact that a business has. And connecting it back to another thing that came out recently, the Edelman Monitor uh, kind of trust barometer comes yep. out. I think, yes. I think it's every year. It is every January, um, yep. And, and it just came out. And what it showed, which I thought was really good validation, and it was shown in the Meaningful Brands work even something like 10 years ago, is that people are looking to businesses to solve these problems. They are. Governments are increasingly slipping down in terms of the confidence that people have in them being able to solve it. And there's a lot of distrust of lots of other institutions and the media and advertising, sadly, comes quite low down that list in terms of trust. So in, I think, something like 25 of the countries that they... Um, they they researched 17 of them. Business was the main place that consumers expected positive social change to come from. So, Paul, just just think about a lot of sort of people have bought our book and are listening to his podcast now. One thing that we consistently hear is they, they're kind of bought into what he's described so eloquently. You know, making changes, improvements. You know, standing for something. Increasingly, we hear brands mm. are ready to do that as are the leaders of them. But but but. We also then hear a lot about we can't we don't know where to start. <laughs> it's like we want to do something, but we just we just don't know like what are the, what are the first steps, Absolutely. what are the processes, etc. So, have you got have you got any like any any nuggets or any advice for anyone listening here about just you know kind of listening to what you said and then beginning the journey? Anything that springs to mind in terms of sort of practical steps they could take? Yeah, so I mean, first off, they should read your book because I think uh, your book has some very practical kind of frameworks to start to use. I think that if we if we reverse two or three years, there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of stuff out there in terms of matrices or frameworks or scorecards for this thing. And I do, I mean, I don't run marketing in a in a brand, so I'm not as close to these things. But I'm aware of several brands starting to use some of those, almost like the equivalent of NPS, but for this area. So yeah. um, I, there are several and I won't kind of kind of prefer any of them, but I think like look, look and be curious around you about the different ways to measure where, where your current state is. And then that can help you to determine where you want to go. And I think once you've got those, the future state and the current state, it becomes a lot easier to try and work out the steps you need to take. Of course, Leaps and bounds are always always wanted by leadership teams. And I think what I would always say is that you should start with something that is a high leverage kind of meaningful first step. Yeah. That gets buy-in and understanding from all of the stakeholders that are important. Because the one thing about I'll say about sustainability, and even thinking as I was preparing to come on this, I'm thinking, am I really qualified to talk about sustainability? Because it's that's quite a meaty complex subject and I think a lot of people look at it and go oh it's on the board agenda what do I contribute to that whereas in actual fact when you start to break it down to its constituent parts which you do very well in the book and on this podcast 
and you start to look at it and go, okay, if you're in a marketing, senior marketing role and you are the guardian of the customer experience, you're the guardian of how things look and feel when they go out the door, both advertising and product, and you're the, and you're in, you're probably in some way fairly closely connected with the supply chain. Yeah. Then there's some obvious places that you can probably start, and you should probably look at what, what where's the correlation between the highest impact but the lowest effort. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, there's not many things that fall into that because otherwise the world would be easy. But there usually is one or two things that you can start. And if I go back to that point about winning kind of hearts and minds from stakeholders of course everyone can position it in a PR strategy in the financial times and saying we've invested in this or we're doing this or whatever I mean to me it's more about tangible evidence that something has changed in the way that you do business or the way that you build and supply products or the way that you actually deliver marketing. It has to be about those things and being able to show a before and after to me. And I know that sounds pretty obvious. Yep. But equally, I think because it's quite a complex, multifaceted topic, people forget some of the simple frameworks that they've got for other things and they expect that they need to start from scratch. Whereas you probably can apply other frameworks, good, better, best, that type of thing to this and go, okay, we're not going to get to best in the next year because we've got a long way to go. So what can we do that's good in the first year of this strategy? Yeah, absolutely. And there will be, when you assess it from that perspective, within your comfort zone, there will be some, some low-hanging kind of fruit, you know, that you can that you can most definitely start with. And it, it I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it is a profitable thing to do for organizations. Every single study that we cite in the book, every you know, every to every study we look at, every organization we've spoken to or we've researched yeah. that takes this forward and practices it really seriously and has put sustainability and and driving from purpose at the at the center of, of their organizations are profitable agree when you were talking michelle what it reminded me actually of was kind of a, a later iteration of what happened in havas under david jones um who um, i had the fortune to work with who started one young world with kate robertson um he also wrote a book, I don't know if you've read it or you've seen it, called uh, Good Business is Better Business, um, which was about, I, I want to say it was about six or seven years ago. And it was very much anchored around the point you just made in that businesses that do recognize this and recognize their social footprint and their social impact are the ones that actually do better in the long term. Um, so I think the co- I don't think the concept is entirely new. I think as, as we touched on a second ago, the, the, the challenge is how do you turn the talking into doing, which is why I, I, I kind of compare and contrast it to the gender or diversity debate, because I think it's exactly the same issue. It is. And, and I love that. And I think that's a great comparison. And, and one of the questions, I suppose, about how do you, you know, what's going to be the catalyst to get started? Well, it's highly likely there's going to be some more regulation by everything that we're kind of seeing around uh, climate change and race to, you know, net zero and, and those aspects. 
it definitely seems as if regulation is is on the agenda. And and I think when you get the the Larry Finks, you know, the CEO of BlackRock, the biggest yeah. asset management fund in the world, and the other three hundred and so big funds that kind of follow very closely what what BlackRock do, saying that we want to see your sustainable agenda, we want to see your climate plan on, you know, in in the plannings on on in your reporting. Then, then things start to shift, don't they? Because I, I think last year in his letter to CEOs, he was speculating that he said, you know, uh, he wanted uh, there needed to be this in investment. They were only going to invest in organisations yeah, that yeah. had that remit. And of course, then this year he reported that we saw a ninety six percent increase in investing investment in sustainable investment. So. And this year he's come out and he wants to see a central metric because at the moment, as we highlight in the book, as you've said already, there are so many frameworks, there's lots of different metrics. There isn't a kind of, you know, as G asked, where do people start? There isn't a kind of basic, here you go, this is this is the framework, This is these are the yeah. things you need to hit. Where are you now What's your base benchmark against this criteria? And as you said, is it good, better, best? How are we going to work against this? There isn't actually, apart from something we've we've endeavoured to put together because we thought there is nothing out there. Where do people start? There isn't anything, is there? But it, it, again, it seems like regulation and indeed this single line of reporting, this this single clear message of of, of metrics, are probably on the agenda. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think that's a good thing. But equally, again, if I bring it back to that comparison I made it a second ago, yeah. I think the really important thing is actually recognising that this is behavioural behavior and organisational change. Yeah. And just because you put some quotas or some metrics in place does not mean you're going to get, you're actually going to change the organisation in the, in the way needed. Mm. And one thing we advocate quite strongly in the book, Paul, is that, is that marketing takes the lead in that, that yeah. change. You know, do you, what, what, what's your, your view on that? Do you, do, you, do you see marketing as the natural department to ensure that that sticks, that's for real, it's authentic, etc.? No, I think I, I think you're right. Um, and I mean, we're all probably slightly um, biased because of <laughs> because of our <laughs> our backgrounds and everything else. But yeah. I mean, I, I I run a podcast called, called Time for a Reset, and we look. I constantly have conversations around the role of marketing as the orchestrator and the connector across the board. Mm. And it's funny, um, I was talking um, to Sophie Devonshire, who I know you've had conversations with as well, and similar conversations that she's driving with the Marketing Society. Um, And we, we, part of the conversation that we were having was around the fact that the marketeer has got so much ask on them right now digital transformation new ways of um, people buying storytelling and now probably kind of having to lean into this agenda as well and I think that that put it does put a lot of onus on the CMO a lot of them are exhausted um, so they do need help yeah and they really need to learn to partner across the org and to partner very closely with the CEO who either will be a massive like proponent of this and be pushed or the complete opposite that actually they just hide away from it and don't really do anything and in that situation I think the CMO's got to partner in a really interesting way in two different ways to actually drive that agenda forward 
Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting you say that because digital transformation is kind of what we liken this to. We liken it to sustainable transformation across the organization. And and it's interesting that if we've seen the kickstart of digital transformation, you know, many of these programs have accelerated due to the crisis, the COVID-19 pandemic crisis. And and we are kind of inherently lazy, aren't we, as as people and as as organisations? And it, and it can become cultural that we don't make the shift until there is the crisis, and we have to, and and then everything comes into play. But yes, mm. we our view is that that connective tissue is is indeed the role of marketing. But a hundred percent agree with you that this is where. You know, there's always kind of been the CFO, CMO, not not conflict, but, you know, the finance has always had that little bit of a hierarchy over over in the C-suite, let's say, because finance is what is often driving the business, you know, and 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 it's and those drivers are, are, are more tangible, let's say. But in this, when you're talking about sustainability, yes, there are finance, yeah, financial measures. Yes, there are metrics and there's sustainable finance, you know, so this is where marketing, finance, employer, you know, HR divisions, they really all have to come together to to work cohesively. No, I agree. And I think whether whether it's digital or diversity or sustainability, the reality is that having one person trying to do these things invariably only gets you so far. Um, You need you need advocates and ambassadors within the business, of course, but you do need you need people that can create cross-functional strategies. And this is what I see constantly from our consulting work, that big businesses struggle to actually have that cross-functional, horizontal kind of way of joining things together. Because yeah. as, as, as you touched on or alluded to earlier, what humans behave in certain ways. When someone gets to be head of a department, funnily enough, they quite like the idea of building that department and growing it and its influence and its number of people. And then before you know it, it's not really collaborating particularly well with other departments and you've got all of these silos. So I think the opportunity here is in the same way that digital is now kind of horizontal across every business, even if you were a retail high street, sustainability is one of those things as well. It's as inherent as technology is in your future and in actual fact, you need to think about, well, your decisions around technology and your physical world footprint are the combination of how your sustainable strategy will look going forward to some yeah. extent. Yeah, I love that. And I couldn't agree more. So, Paul, we like to ask our guests three kind of juicy little questions to close off our podcast. So I'm going to start with the first question, which maybe we should start putting this at the end, G. Um, but, you know, let's start with it. Can marketing, Paul, save the planet? It's C-level leaders collaborating with each other are the ones that are going to solve this and move the planet forward because consumers are looking to business and a CEO can do a lot of good, as did the BlackRock guy in coming out. But ultimately, unless they engage their next level down and they engage their next level down and they engage their consumers, nothing changes. So... I think it's about understanding behavioural barriers and triggers and all of those kind of things. So marketing is in, is, rel- is relevant to every part of that. Yeah. More so than to your point, finance or ops. Yes. But equally, marketeers do have blind spots. Yeah. They're not as commercial as they need to be today. They're probably not as deep operationally as they need to be today. So 
The future CMO, I think, yes. And I actually strongly believe that there'll be more CMOs that become CEOs if that continues. But there's work to be done. Next question we ask always is, what do you hope business looks like in 10 years' time? So I I would hope that we we have more businesses that have a very clear understanding of what their purpose and their why is, uh, which is where we started the conversation. I think as a result of that, we will have more actionable plans that do impact the sustainability agenda. And I think part of sustainability is the sustainability of a workforce. And I think that the last year has proven to many businesses that you don't need that presenteeism and people sat at a desk working in a remote model all as a full-time employee is the only model. I think we're going to get a lot of innovation and invention in workforce models, mm. in kind of service models. And I hope that that means that we will be much further ahead on this agenda. But the only concern I have is the, the growing influence that some of the tech platforms and companies have on the world. I mean, if mm. you fast forward Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon... You fast forward 10 years' time, it's difficult to see that there'll be a new player that has completely disrupted that. There'll be a new company that we don't know. But I worry that whilst their their models might be good for a lot of sustainable metrics, in certain areas, their models are deeply bad for society and raise many question marks about (laughs) um, what is happening. So I, I worry that the new business that is so tech-led starts to forget the doing good part in terms of how it actually helps people to make up their own minds and kind of build communities and think local and global. I worry about that bit, if I'm yeah. honest. And I think businesses, that other businesses need to have a, take a responsibility to think about how they help those businesses grow because every, every marketeer out there throws money at Google and Facebook and Amazon. It's not the only part of the ecosystem, to be honest. In fact, if you look at all of the data, there's a lot of other time that's spent in lots of other places. But the problem is, it is what you said we're trying to do with sustainability. It's understandable, it's easy, and everyone else is doing it. So Mm. it's difficult to argue with. I think you raise a very good point there about, you know, we talk about sustainability and we talk about what organizations are doing, but in our book and indeed in any, you know, people that we speak to and on the podcast, we do this, we all play a part, don't we? Uh, We all play a part and... As, and it is about being responsible humans, responsible marketers, and the little choices that we make, the the little shifts and changes that we make, and the awareness. It is about awareness because sometimes, you know, I've never really thought about that aspect of what that's going to happen in the 10 years. And I'm glad we brought that up on this podcast because that's an interesting thing to think and align with our responsibility mm. because we're driving the machine. So, you yes. know, and, and you're without, right. Without yeah. that being necessarily intentional, it's yeah. a knock-on consequence. It is. It's habitual. You know, it's kind of we all do it uh, because that's the formula that, that gets the results. Wonderful. Okay, well, the last question that we ask yeah. you um, is, is about advice. So what one piece of advice would you give to a fellow marketer about sustainable marketing? Be curious, read more, um, get more familiar with it. 
because I think, I mean, I'm sure, and having listened to a few of your podcasts, there's lots of different ways that people come into this conversation based on their background and their expertise. So it's a very multifaceted thing. Yeah. Um, and I think we all we all need to get our head around it because it is a very, forgive the word, holistic thing. Um, and I think like marketers need to be curious anyway, right? I mean, they've got a lot to learn and I appreciate that there's not necessarily enough time to do it all, but talk to your peers, have conversations, look at case studies and try to kind of see whether there are some kind of first meaningful steps that can be taken that you can own as an individual to your very point. Yeah. And think about how you can lobby internally to try and get some of those things to happen. Fantastic. Wonderful, wonderful advice. Thank you so much, Paul. This has been amazingly insightful. We really appreciate your time today. It's been it's been amazing to hear your thoughts. Pleasure. I really enjoyed it. <laughs>